millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It seems like the president really has taken an issue with immigrants, has taken an issue with refugees, has banned Somalis from entering this, this country. And so... I think it is a nightmare in itself to now have the person who is going to provide that check and balance be a Somali, Muslim, refugee, immigrant. I'm Mehdi Hassan. Welcome to Deconstructed. My guest this week has been on the cover of Time magazine, which described her as one of a handful of women who are changing the world. Ilhan Omar was born in Somalia, but at the age of eight was living in a refugee camp in Kenya. She arrived in the US age 12, unable to speak English. But two years ago, age 33, she was elected to the Minnesota House of Representatives. And now, aged just 35, she's heading for Congress. Last month, she decisively beat five other candidates in the primary race to fill Representative Keith Ellison's seat in Minnesota's 5th Congressional District, which, luckily for her, has been a Democratic safe seat since 1962. In November, Omar will become the first refugee from Africa, the first Somali-American, one of the first two Muslim-American women, and the first woman in a headscarf to be elected to the United States Congress. And she'll be part of not just a historic wave of female congressional candidates, but a new left-wing insurgency intent on taking Washington, D.C. and the Democratic Party establishment by storm when the new House returns in January. In many ways, Omar is the anti-Trump. She represents everything the president loathes, everything he stands against. Islam, refugees, black people, Africa, women, progressives. And she's well aware of the fact that a lot of people are counting on her to make a difference, to inspire hope. Here she is speaking at her election night victory rally last month. In my last phase, I talked about what my win would have meant for that eight-year-old girl in that refugee camp. And today, today I still think about her. And I think about the kind of hope and optimism that all of those eight-year-olds around the country and around the world get from seeing your beautiful faces elect and believe in someone like me. So I humbly thank you. I caught up with Ilhan Omar on her recent visit to Washington, D.C., where she'd just been checking out her new, soon-to-be workplace. Yep, the United States Congress. Ilhan Omar, welcome to Deconstructed. First off, congratulations. Thank you so much. You're headed to the United States Congress. You'll be the first Muslim woman elected to Congress alongside Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, um, the first Somali-American elected to Congress, the first African refugee elected to Congress, the first woman in a headscarf elected to Congress. That's a lot of firsts. How does it feel to be uh, making history, to be breaking all these glass ceilings at once? It's actually kind of surreal because, you know, it's and 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 exciting too because there's like so many people who, depends on what first gets mentioned in a paper, the community that's 
that left behind in in the mentions of the first as will like comment and say, well, she's also. Yeah. Did I forget um, any of my list? Is there another first that you've done that I've missed? I will be the first woman of color to represent Minnesota oh, in wow. Congress. Okay, fantastic. Um, wow. And first African born, yes. It's exciting because to me what that says is there are so many people that are going to be able to see themselves, their story, their journeys being represented in Congress now. And so that that for me is really exciting and it is also scary. Yeah, indeed. Um, your district in Minnesota, the 5th district where you won the primary, which includes the city of Minneapolis, I believe, as well, it broke a record for turnout in a midterm primary last month. 135,000 votes cast for Democratic candidates. Do you think in this age of Trump, in this era where so-called identity politics is constantly under the media microscope, do you think your background as a former refugee, a Somali-American, a Muslim woman in a headscarf, do you think that helped you or hurt you in your campaign? Do you think it's something that got you vote? or cost you votes? Yeah, I mean, so for for our district, they have gotten used to having a representation that was bold, um, progressive, uh, that really went to Washington to fight for their values. Um, And so in a six-way race, you know, throughout every single debate, they were looking for the person who really was talking about the issues that matter to them. Who can they trust to send to Washington to fight for them? Um, And who can they trust to make sure that they weren't Hmm. going to be um, bought or bossed around? But you don't don't think your race or religion was a major factor or a passing factor? No, it never really came up. Good to hear. I want to talk about your vision for the Democrats and your plans for 2019. But before that, especially for the sake of our listeners, who some of whom might be new to you, I want to take a step back and ask you about your journey. How did you get to this point? So just to be clear, you were born in Somalia. Yes. And you moved to the US when? So I was born in Somalia and um, I was about eight years old when the Civil War happened. And then we fled and lived in a refugee camp for four years in Kenya. What year was that? Uh, so, 1991. So I lived in Somalia yeah. as a kid yes. in 1988 because yes. my dad was a UN worker. Yeah. That's my Somali trivia. I know. Just we, before we, the Civil We chatted War. about that last time we were talking. And so um, we lived in that refugee camp in Mombasa, Kenya for four years. And then in 1995, got the opportunity um, to resettle here in the U.S. And I actually started out in Arlington, Virginia, so not that far away from Capitol Hill, um, and and then eventually moved uh, to to Minnesota when I started high school. When did you end up becoming a citizen? How old were you when you became a citizen? Yeah, so I became a citizen actually before I turned eighteen. Oh. My my father um, became a citizen, and so I um, got my citizenship through that process. I'm so just, I, I'm just wondering when yeah. you became a citizen. Were you thinking in your head one day I'm going to be a member of Congress? Was it, how how long are you thinking about how you know? Becoming a politician, how far back do we have to go to get to where you decided, you know what, one day I'm going to run for office? So I was always interested in in politics. I grew up in a household where politics um, was was discussed. I never really imagined or saw myself as as a politician. I I always knew I loved um, debate. I love the the idea of discussing policy, and you know I I do political training, so. 
they say statistically women, it takes them seven times to be asked before they make the decision to run for office. Men just wake up and they're like, I'm going to run for office. And I used to say every time someone would ask me that it would probably take 14 times because of all of my otherness um, to, to actually think of that. But it didn't take 14 in the end. You hear you are a member of Congress of 35. You're going to be one of the youngest members of Congress. In the past, you've called yourself America's hope and the president's nightmare. How do you plan to be his nightmare in the House of Representatives come January 2019? I mean, it seems like, you know, the the the, the president really has taken an issue with immigrants, has taken an issue with refugees, has banned Somalis from entering this, this country. And so... I think it is a nightmare in itself to now have the person who is going to provide that check and balance be a Somali Muslim refugee immigrant um, who who he's now um, going to be held accountable for. And I think I couldn't think of a bigger nightmare than that. And and just to be clear, and just out of interest, uh, do you, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, define yourself as a socialist? It's become very controversial in the Democratic Party. Who is and who isn't willing to say the dreaded S-word? So for, for, for me, what I say to that is that I believe in not having extra titles. So I am a Democrat, but the ideals of socialism um, is one that is deep, uh, in in my values. And so I think as Democrats, um, we all share serious socialism ideals about providing um, for people and caring about uh, our, our communities and making sure that government is held accountable in, in providing for its citizens. So on that, you ran on a platform of debt-free college, of Medicare for all, of abolishing ICE. Of those three very progressive ideas, what do you think the priority should be for Democrats in the next Congress? I think we're going to have an opportunity to actually get Medicare for all. Um, I think it will be a a missed opportunity for us to not work towards debt-free, tuition-free college. I think when when you're looking at economically the the kind of tax cuts right now that are being proposed, the giveaways um, to corporations... The last one was $2 trillion um, for us to cancel student debt for every um, American student is $1.4 trillion. There's now a proposal to do another $2.4 trillion in tax cuts. Mm. Um, there's so, always money for tax right? cuts. Like, so there's always money for tax cuts. There's always money for war. There's always money um, to, to bail out Wall Street. There's always money yeah. Um but not to and, do with but what? there is never enough money for education that we know is is going to have no. a bigger impact in revitalizing our economy there's always never enough money for us to invest in infrastructure and 21st century infrastructure so here's my issue with the democrats and let's see if you agree with me the democrats and liberals more broadly just aren't aggressive or assertive enough uh, in this current political climate where the Republicans are breaking rules, uh, breaking the law, trampling on uh, everyday democratic constitutional norms, uh, doing everything they can to stay in power by any means necessary. And, you know, you've heard the saying, the Democrats bring a knife to a gunfight, the Republicans bring a bazooka. Is that going to change anytime soon? Is that a fair criticism of the Democrats over the last couple of years? I mean, I think the the Democrats have always had a tendency to see themselves as the adults in the room. 
Um, and I think the, the most adult thing for us to do is um, really make sure that we are disciplining um, and that we are really providing wisdom and guidance. Um, and that's what the American people are really asking for. So, yes, I agree that if we are to think of ourselves as the adults in the room, then we must also act with the responsibility that comes with being an adult. But, we, but, but my point is, don't you need to act in a slightly more aggressive way, given you're dealing with crazy children, if you want to take the analogy further? Yes, I mean that's 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 precisely what I'm saying. I think we must recognize, right, that yeah. we are. But, but, um, but basically, if the Democrats are always playing by the rules right. while the other side is basically tearing up the rules, yes, you're going to keep yes. losing. Yes, and we we also have to make sure that we are providing that mirror, right? Because the 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 Republican Party likes to say that they are about accountability and transparency, yeah, yeah. and that they are the party of rule and law, um, and and we see. We see yeah. time and time again when they are giving the chance to govern, they don't know how to govern. They are failing the American people, whether you look at it in yeah. state houses to uh, Capitol Hill. So we must make sure that the American people understand and that we are holding a mirror to the Republicans. In terms of leadership uh, of your party, will you be backing Nancy Pelosi for speaker? A lot of people on both the left and right of your party think her time is past. It's time for someone from a new generation. I mean, I think, you know, for for me, when you're thinking about leadership, you have to think about what it means for um, a particular agenda to be crafted. And that agenda is usually crafted by the people who are going to surround that leader. Uh, and so what I am looking forward to is having a conversation with people who are interested in, in leadership to, to look at, you know, who are you assembling around you and what is it going to mean for us to have an agenda that really encompasses all of our platforms that make sure that we're not leaving anyone. Yeah. She doesn't I, have your vote I, I can't imagine, right, uh, and, uh, a space where we are only focusing on a particular name, um, where we are not coming to Washington thinking about what it means for us to get the work done. I have always admired the work leader uh, Pelosi has done. Um, I think back to her being one of the most successful speakers. So I think if given the opportunity with the right people around her, uh, I can see voting for her. Okay. And on Bernie Sanders, are you team Bernie for 2020 if he decides to run again? Do you think he should run again? I actually believe that ship might have sailed. Okay. You think there'll be other other progressive blood in 2020? Obviously, you think there should be someone with his platform running in 2020, at least. Yes, I do. Uh, I think there is an opportunity for for new leaders to emerge. I think our um, is Elizabeth party... Warren that person? Because that's what it comes down to now. Is people say it's either Sanders or Warren. Anytime you talk to lefties, it's who's going to run in 2020 on the left? Is it going to be Warren or Sanders? I mean, there are a lot of people that I'm excited about. I think I would be excited about a Warren candidacy. I've always thought of myself as part of the Warren wing of the party. I would be excited about Senator Camilla Harris uh, running. I could see. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Uh, Senator Cory Booker thinking about it. Okay, and they're going to be whoever runs is going to be running probably against Donald Trump if he if if you guys don't impeach him in the next uh, Congress. Let's talk Trump. In your view, is a president who's referred to countries like Somalia as shithole countries, made abusive remarks about Mexicans, Muslims, refugees, black athletes, etc., etc. Is he a I think we all agree he's a racist. Is he a white nationalist? Is he leading a white nationalist administration, in your view? How dangerous is this moment for U.S. politics? I, I think we are at probably one of the most dangerous crossroads in, in our country. I think of him as, as a madman. I really think that he doesn't have an opportunity or the mental space to really think about what his actions mean for people around him, for the country that he's supposed to lead for around the world. I think he is mainly interested in what it means for him. And I think he's running the country as he would run a show um, mm. where you are thinking about ratings. And it's it's really but, scary for, for yeah. those of us who really believe in this country, who, who want to make sure that that's it what is, I'm saying. It is going go in the right direction. If you go past the spectacle and yes. the tweets, mm-hmm. we do have an administration with ICE rounding people up, with the border separations, with the constant comments about black athletes and Muslims and some of the policies coming out of the DOJ that looks like a like a boost for the white nationalist movement. And a lot of people say that if he's not a white nationalist himself, he's an enabler of white nationalism. And the media and the opposition should treat him as such. He's not a conservative or a Republican in any traditional sense. He's way beyond that. Is that fair? Yeah. Oh, that is very fair. Um, I think, but but I, I but I feel like right that he um, might not have quite the right intellect to even understand that he's enabling yeah. right white nationalists. I think for... Oh, I think he knows. For, <laughs> I mean, I... Think he's I, got, I, think he's, I agree with you on the, the lack of intellect and the kind of unhinged nature of him. Yeah, but I but think when I, it comes to this, he's been pretty consistent in, in his but messaging. But I, I think, right, I think that he looks at what what kind of excitement he generates and the kind of backlash that he generates. And he looks both of those things as being a positive thing. Mm. And so in, in, in his policies, he, everything that is controversial is something he enjoys. And so I don't know if he has, if he has the ability to understand how detrimental the policies that he is farthering are. I don't know if he understands how detrimental his speech is um, to the kind of nation we want to be. I don't think he understands how 
how he is setting us back, hmm. generation. In the past two years, especially since he started running for president, his you know Islamophobia has reached kind of record levels in the U.S. Anti-Muslim hate attacks unleashed uh, by his campaign, by his presidency. Um, I believe you yourself were threatened by a cab driver who made uh, bigoted remarks about you being ISIS. Um, how bad is Islamophobia in the U.S. right now? Do Trump and his uh, Islamophobic white nationalist pals, do they pose an existential threat to Muslim communities in the U.S., do you think? They really do. And and it, I think it's one of the really scariest things. You know, we are experiencing much higher threat than we did even, you know, the after the aftermath of, of 9-11. And so it is, it is scary. But what is hopeful and exciting is to see the rise of Muslims in in politics, mm. in positions of influence. Just this year, we had over 90 Muslims on a ballot across this country. Um, for the first time in our nation's history, we might have four Muslims. So that number is going to double in even house, with the yeah. loss of one Muslim um, not being there. And so I think with... With times of crisis, people have an opportunity to rise to the occasion. And Muslims in in this country are fighting back. Muslims in this country are saying we are citizens and our citizenship is not conditional. Um, We have a voice uh, and we have um, the opportunity to influence our, our nation for the better. I think it's interesting that you mentioned kind of the public life, the public role aspect, because we hear so much about anti-extremism initiatives, CVE, countering violent extremism. And yet some would argue that Muslims running for office is probably one of the best ways yes. of countering extremism. You're from Minnesota, where there has been a problem with some young Somali-American men going out and joining al-Shabaab or other extremist groups. And I would argue, a lot of people say it's religion, it's politics. I would argue it's a lot of it's to do with identity crises yeah, and not yeah. knowing your place in a oh, society. very much. And when you see people like yourself, for my daughter, who is a British American Muslim. She has dual nationality. Uh, she is also a Muslim. She sees someone like you. That's a great inspiration because she's like, okay, this is very much you know. She might see Donald Trump in the White House, but she sees Ilhan Omar in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. She sees Sadiq Khan as Mayor of London. Mm-hmm. That actually has a huge role, I think, in tamping down on some of these identity crises and, and the quote unquote radicalization that flows from it. Yeah, I mean, and she also right what what she's probably seeing on TV for the first time is that we don't only have people who are anti-Islam going up against non-Muslims who are defending us. But you now have people like me who are speaking for what it means to be a Muslim and and what it means to exist in a Western society. And so I think that is going to influence the way that young people who are of the Muslim faith in this country see themselves and how they are going to develop the kind of um, self-esteem it, it takes to really resist the kind of issues that are that arise. And just before we finish, you mentioned influence mm-hmm. uh, and getting influence and, and now being involved on the front line of politics. For a lot of Muslim Americans, for a lot of people on the left, both groups who haven't had lots of influence at the center of American power, uh, foreign policy is a big problem. You're going to be in the House of Representatives. You're going to be dealing with health, Medicare for all. You're going to be dealing with ICE, all these other domestic issues, education. But obviously, foreign policy is a big issue. You're going to be voting on issues of war and peace. Uh, quite heavy responsibility. One, I want to ask you about how that makes you feel, you know, voting for 
wars or against wars. Sometimes there's going to be military action that comes up. How's that going to affect you? And the other issue is is Israel. You were very outspoken in your criticism of Israel back in 2012. I think you talked about evil actions going on in Gaza. Recently, a conservative columnist tried to use that against you, smear you as an anti-Semite. And you actually stood up to and said, no, you know, criticizing Israel's apartheid regime is not anti-Semitism. That's very strong language. Some might say that in Congress, especially even amongst your Democratic allies who are very pro-Israel, you will be attacked if you carry on taking that kind of critical stance uh, against Israel and other American allies. So just wondering, what, what's your plan for that? I mean, I think there, there are going to be a lot of opportunities for us to, to have a, a conversation that is honest about where our individual values are and what our collective values are. There, there was a clear answer um, to the people that didn't think I should be in, in Congress with the number of votes that we got in a mm. six-way primary. So I, I know that the people in Minnesota are interested in making sure that they're sending someone who is going to have moral clarity and courage. Uh, and so it is... Moral clarity is a good phrase because yeah. a lot of progressives are very good on domestic policy mm-hmm. and it's easier to be stronger on domestic policy because people are interested in that. There's stronger lobby groups, unions, organizing. Foreign policy for a lot of Americans and American politicians is something far away. It's something more opaque and you end up moderating your line. So I'm just wondering on issues of foreign policy, on issues of war and peace, on issues of Middle East, Israel, uh, do you think you're going to be forced to kind of moderate your lines and take a quieter, more... more no, no, you're shaking your head. Yeah, no, I, I am very clear about where my values are when it comes to the Middle East, when it comes to war, when it comes to, you know, the, the kind of foreign policy we should be engaging in. We have now moved from conversations of peace. Yeah. We have now, you know, really have become bold enough to go and and say it is okay for us to to have our embassy in in Jerusalem which we know sort of puts a stop yeah to any further conversations about peace in the Middle East um we are now cutting foreign aid to Palestine yeah. um and so for me it is important that we get people in Washington who have the moral clarity and the courage to say that is not okay if we are going to be a country that talks about peace, we must further it around the world. Right. If we're talk if we're going to be a country that says we want a two state solution, then we can't we can't have Ilhan, policies. if you're going to carry on talking like <laughs> this, puts, right? we're like... going to be very excited come January 2019. Um one last question because I know you have to run. Do you think is it fair or is it an exaggeration to say that the future of the United States of America, given the current controversies, given the dangerous crossroads we're at, as we discussed, do you think the future is going to be a battle to decide whether America is defined by and represented by people who act and speak and look like you rather than act and look and speak like Donald J. Trump? I think... We must work towards an America that has people who act, speak, and look more like me. Because what Donald Trump represents is against everything America should stand for. Specifically? You talk about diversity. Yes. Diversity in in thought, in representation, in, um, in inclusiveness. Donald Trump's America is one that is 
xenophobic, Islamophobic, racist. And that's not, that's not the America that my family dreamt about coming to. That's not the America that even Donald Trump's grandparents <laughs> dreamt about coming to. And that is not the America our founding fathers were thinking about. Um, and so I am excited to fight for the America that I know we should have and we deserve. And I am excited to see so many others around this country are too. Ilhan Omar, thank you very much for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you for having me. That was Ilhan Omar, soon to be member of Congress from Minnesota. And look, I'm not going to hide the fact that normally I'm quite cynical about this kind of stuff, but I'm actually really excited by the prospect of all these progressive women of colour heading for the House of Representatives in the new year. Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Taleb, and many more. Not just because they're going to be strong and necessary voices on domestic policy, on Medicare for all, on debt-free college, on a higher minimum wage, criminal justice reform but also potentially on foreign policy too, as you just heard, coming up with a more internationalist, more humane, more just, less belligerent, less biased US approach to the rest of the world. Perhaps above all else, they're going to change what Congress looks like. They're going to make the legislature of the United States look much more like the people of the United States. And I know people like Tucker Carlson of Fox News lose their minds at any mention of the D word, But the fact is that diversity matters. It's hard to explain to a white person what it means to be a member of a minority group and see one of your own represented in the corridors of power. Ilhan Omar is an inspiration to me, to my family. I can point at her, a proud hijab-wearing Muslim woman of colour, and say to my young daughters, there's someone of your faith. There's someone who wears a hijab like your mother does. And she's in Congress. She was elected by a majority white, majority non-Muslim district. And now she's making laws, taking names, kicking ass. Well, maybe I won't say kicking ass in front of my daughters, but you get my point. It matters that people like Ilhan Omar are heading for Capitol Hill. The change that these midterms are going to bring about could be, should be, I hope, historic. This could be, it just might be, the beginning of a new chapter in US political history. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media in The Intercept and is distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. Lital Mollard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every Thursday. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, please email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.